0: Welcome, everybody, to episode two of Stirring the Pot. Of course, I'm Gabe, here with RJ, Cameron, Connor. And let's get into it. So, of course, it's college football, and conference play is right around the corner. But the last week of non conference play did not disappoint, as we start with the Battle of Colorado with Deion Sanders versus Colorado State and a showdown for the ages. So, Shadir Sanders had a bit of trash talk to begin that game before the game. It got pretty physical throughout, but what did you guys see Shador Sanders do throughout the game that really got this team the victory?
1: I'm not going to lie. He, him stepping up where someone needed to step up with Travis Hunter being out, I'm not going to lie. Kind of gave him a case for the Heisman. I guess that, that gave him more of a talking tone as of actually being in the race. I think overall, like in the... Third key third down moments late in that fourth quarter him coming up clutch and just absolutely getting the ball out under pressure I think is what permanently just kept him in the game and ultimately gave him the win
2: yeah I think he had a great game uh although he did throw his first interception of the season I think down the stretch in that game especially with the loss of Travis Hunter I think he really showed his stripes in that game
3: uh as he said on his pan he went Brady mode he went absolute Brady mode. Yeah,
2: he's, he's flexing them watches
1: on ESPN.
3: I oh, see yeah. it. Yeah. That's, a, that's a trend now. We had like Rick Ross and DJ Coward
1: all doing that. All the stars out in Boulder, stars, Colorado. Colorado. Yeah.
0: It felt like it was a star-studded game. I know Shiloh got the big pick six to get Colorado on the board, but someone who really had a quiet game was Dylan Edwards, which isn't like the freshman at all. So like, what do you think was his problem with that? Yeah, I think
2: Shadur kind of took over with the pass game. Uh, as you see, Michael Harris, Michael Harrison, the tight end, uh, seven catches, seventy-six yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, I think it was. I think it was a great showing from the tight end. You don't really see much from him.
1: Yeah, going back to Dylan Edwards, I just think overall, sixteen touches, seventy-four yards. I think for a freshman to kind of step up in a game like when they were heavily favored and they weren't heavily. Uh, in the lead coming down the stretch. I think overall just him getting him out of some short yard situations and just giving the team new life on offense, I think gave him a two-dimensional game. And I think it overall kind of gave Colorado a different identity that Colorado State maybe wasn't expecting. Well,
3: the biggest step up from that game, in my opinion, was Xavier Weaver. He had nine receptions and almost 100 yards on a touchdown. He really helped Shador – get his touchdowns, and he was the replacement for Travis Hunter that game.
0: It definitely was. All three of those receivers were outstanding to help Colorado get a very close victory. But on the other side on Colorado State, freshman quarterback Braden Fowler-Nicolosi, he had some ups and downs through the game. Um, What do you guys think of his play as his first really big test on big-time TV?
1: I think overall he played really well. I think the only thing, though, that killed him were the three interceptions. I think if he maybe even would have toned it down to just two, I think Colorado State could have taken the game away and potentially not even have it in been in overtime and just overall would have been something that – I'm not gonna lie. No one expected because coming into the game, everybody was like, "Yeah, Colorado is gonna roll Colorado State, and it won't even be close." But I mean, they played physical. They kept themselves in the game, and I mean, I give props to all of Colorado State. I just think overall they did really good.
2: Yeah, it's not very. It's not very likely you see a ranked team uh, go down and have that much trouble. Uh, I mean, I know it's a rivalry game, but. I think Colorado State showed a lot of fight in that game. It was a really interesting game, and I think that showed a lot of flaws in that Colorado team.
3: I just want to like talk about Jay Norvell for a minute. He almost put his money where his mouth is, and that's like for this Colorado State team, we all thought they were going to get 70 balled, but the fact that they pulled off a two-overtime game against Colorado, a ranked Colorado, I think it was a pretty good showing.
1: And I think something that also impressed me, just to put it in, I think the Colorado State defense, very, very physical. They would, did not let Colorado get comfortable. They didn't even let being in uh, Colorado Stadium even like affect them that much. They still played like, hit-stick-level football, and I think overall that's why this game was even close, was because of the defense.
0: Yeah, the defense for Colorado State. One notable name is Henry Blackburn, the senior safety. He had an interception the first of the year for Shador Sanders, but he also made a pretty dirty play on a story player. Travis Hunter is, was hospitalized. He got let out earlier this week, but it's a big loss for Colorado, who who is versing a gauntlet of a schedule coming up.
2: Yeah, I saw that hit from Blackburn. Uh, you see a lot of the media going crazy about it. I saw Micah Parsons talked about it and a bunch of other people from the NFL. I do think it was a dirty hit. Dirty hits happen. I mean, you saw like the hit that happened on Chubb earlier this week that we will talk about later, but I think that was a pretty dirty hit. There's really no room for stuff like that in the game. And yeah, I think there should be some kind of penalty for Blackburn for that.
1: To kind of add on to that, uh, Deion Sanders in the press con- or at one of his uh, press conferences, uh, I believe it was like a day or two after the game, he heard that Blackburn was getting like death threats and stuff that has been a on the increase the past couple of weeks, and even in the NFL with Alexander Madison, I just think uh, the way Dion handled it, kind of saying, like, look, this is at the end of the day, this is a game. Like, he doesn't deserve death threats, I think was a really good gesture. And even considering, like, all Colorado's football teams forgiven him, uh, Dion didn't, even Travis Hunter himself, which kind of shows a lot about the maturity of Colorado's team. And I just think overall, I mean, stuff like that's going to happen. And I think it's just best for both sides to move on. Yeah, so
0: that was a tough game. A lot of penalties, a lot of fights, a lot of chit-chat. But Colorado, good for them to pull out the win. Now moving on to a less exciting game, honestly, offensive-wise. Alabama really struggled against US, USF, beating them 17-3. to I know we have a lot of thoughts about this game, but what's the first thing that came to mind why Bama struggled so much?
3: You cannot be Alabama and be 3-3 three and three at halftime against University of South Florida.
2: Yeah, and there's, a, there's an interesting stat that I pulled from this game. Uh, obviously, Jalen Milrow got the bullet for this game, but both Alabama quarterbacks combined for... 10 of 23 passing for 107 yards and no end zone. I think that's crazy. That's not what you think of when you think of a Nick Saban offense.
1: Absolutely not. Considering out of Alabama, like the amount of quarterback talent they've put in the NFL, and you just see this type of performance, like the game even being close. I remember looking at the score, a college football scoreboard at halftime, and I'm like, is this a typo? Like, I didn't even think it was real until I looked at the stats, and I'm like, oh, my God.
2: Yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say this is Jalen Milrow's team. Um, I mean, I guess we'll see about it next week, but it was a terrible game for Bama. That USF defense gave it to him.
0: Yeah, it was a real struggle for him, but, you know, one offensive unit did not struggle, and that's definitely the running backs. Wodell Williams, a senior, he was outstanding like Alabama always seems to produce these ridiculous running backs you know Derrick Henry and Najee but is he next on the list if he continues to play
1: like that I think if the play continues he could potentially put himself on the list it's just I think it's a little bit too early because like besides Texas they really haven't had too many tests yet like the SEC tests are gonna happen later in the year and I think if he performs to even close to what he put up I think then is when you could have the conversation of him potentially being uh, that top-level back. So, yeah, and, you know,
0: USF's side of the offense was no different from Bammer's, The freshman, Brayon Brown, 14 for 18, 87 total yards passing and an interception. That's not going to get it done. But more surprisingly, his carry number is through the roof. As – Someone who watches football, you, your quarterback is having a tremendous trauma getting hit that much, but what do you guys think about that?
3: Your quarterback can't have 23 carries. There's clearly something wrong with your offensive line. There's clearly something wrong. I mean, he looked all right, but their offensive line just looked atrocious.
2: Yeah, and coming, coming in with the offensive line thing, I think – Maybe seeing some holes in the, in the Bama offensive line, too, seeing all of that pressure get into the quarterbacks, especially from South Florida's defensive back, Daquan Evans. A stat line from him, eight total tackles for solo, three sacks, four tackles for loss, and a pass defended. For the defensive back, it is rare that you see three sacks from a defensive back.
1: Yeah, he really balled out. Yeah, absolutely. And even just even a fun little stat to kind of put on regarding Alabama's offense. I mean, just Alabama as a whole. They had eight punts, right? However, the punt yards outdid the total yards of offense. I'm just going to let that sit with wow. everybody for a second. This that's, is Alabama that, football we're talking that, that's about. That's ridiculous.
2: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's their lowest rank since 2015. They're 13. It's
3: rare. Can I say something real quick? One receiver, Isaiah Bond, was the only player for Bama with multiple receptions.
1: Good God. I mean, wow. that's – wow. Talk about not really – I mean, yeah, you're spreading the ball a little bit, but considering you need multiple players to get multiple receptions if you want to win a football game, yeah, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, especially with the receiver talent that Alabama's produced over the years. Like, you got the likes of, like, Calvin Ridley, all those guys – I mean, how can you let that happen?
1: <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't really have much words about it. I, think, I just think it's insane. It's overall mind-blowing. But I think I'll, if you're Alabama next game, you need to bounce back. And bounce back in an impressive fashion.
0: Going on next, of course, as you, everyone knows, WVU, the rivalry, Pitt. It was an interesting game. The, the initial thought of this was I thought it was a rugby match. The first, you know, <laughs> 20 minutes, no passing. But, you know, that there's a big guy who got injured for WVU. You know, that's going to be a problem for, for the Mountaineers.
2: Yeah, we miss Garrett already. already I mean, Ni- Nico did a great job this game, though, but this offense is centered around Garrett, and I think it's going to be tough to game plan around that
1: for the next few weeks. Absolutely, and I think something now that we're going to need to find out is Nico's passing ability is what, is the biggest question mark right now, in my opinion. I mean, he only attempted nine passes and then completed six of them for only 60 yards. So in my opinion, I think you need to switch around the offense a little bit, kind of get it more towards Nico now, depending on if Garrett Green comes back. I believe he is not coming back against Texas Tech from what I've seen. So... Even if it's a little one-game switch, there's no need to necessarily yet rush Gary Green back on the football field. I think we'd rather want him fully healthy than a little bit banged up and still playing and uh, potential risk for a future injury.
3: Uh, I agree with that, I also want to point out for the offense, uh, C.J. Donaldson balled out as usual. He had 18 carries, 102 yards, and a touchdown. He looked great against this pit defense, and he just honestly watching the game, he dogged them. Yeah, it was definitely
0: a rushing attack by two big running backs.
1: And I think, in my opinion, that's what solely won West Virginia this game right here was the running attack by far, in my opinion, because overall, having over like 30 carries and 164 uh, rushing yards from the two running backs, C.J. Donaldson and Jalen Anderson, I just think overall that gave West Virginia's offense a chance to move down the field fluently. And put points on the board.
2: Yeah, and another thing that put them in great field position was our defense, surprisingly. Phil Jerkovic throwing three picks? Wow, it's that West Virginia defense coming in.
1: That's true. I think even the pressure, just putting pressure on him, I think overall also attributed to making him throw in three interceptions and have a 10.3 QBR. Phil Jerkbeck's terrible. <laughs> I, I hate to, uh, it, Phil. Phil's terrible. He he made our secondary look really good.
2: Yeah, that's that Press Virginia defense. Right <laughs> Press Virginia, indeed.
0: Yeah, but there wasn't much. You know, the run game was also a factor for Pitt, but it really didn't translate as good
1: as WVU's. Why was that? I think, just overall, my opinion, it was the just the big guys up front getting the tackles and not letting them go that far on multiple carries and just doing that over the course of the whole game I think was the reason why Pitt kind of chose towards the end of the game to go more towards passing because they were already down by at least, I believe it was 10 points. So overall just getting them in that situation where they're forced to pass in which something was not a strong suit that game, I think overall gave West Virginia's defense the advantage. Me personally, I just think that Phil Jurgovich just overall just did not
3: do well. He did not do well in that environment, especially in Morgantown. I think if it, if it wasn't Pitt, it could have been a different story, but we're in Morgantown. We don't let that happen here.
2: I mean, he did say he hates booze. Oh, yeah, he does not like booing. There's a lot of booze coming from our student section, I'll tell you that
3: much. Yeah, didn't he say, like, if you're a grown man booing, you should be ashamed of yourself?
2: Yeah, he should be ashamed of himself for going 8 for 20.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, and I think if you're the Pitt fan base, I don't know what you would do at quarterback right now. I don't know how you could stick with him again. In my opinion, I think there needs to be some sort of a change.
2: Yeah, I think uh, if you're going to get Chipotle at some point on the pit campus, you might see Phil behind the
0: counter at some point. <laughs> yeah, but definitely, that was a great game for WVU. Over five hundred, it feels great, and of course with the Sweet Caroline roll. But moving on to this next coming next week of football. You know, we have a loaded schedule of games, but I think Connor's going to start us off with a big one.
2: Yes, sir. So we have a big SEC opener with number 15 Ole Miss Rebels traveling into Tuscaloosa playing number 13 Bama on a skid recently. They have not been playing well from a loss to a really bad game against USF where they scraped out a win. But I think this is going to be... If not game of the week, it's going to be one of the games of the week. So Ole Miss during week three, they had a home game against Georgia Tech. Quarterback Jackson Dart went 10 for 18, 251 yards and a touchdown. And rushing-wise, I think was where he made his mark. 14 carries, 136 yards, and two touchdowns. That's almost 10 yards per carry. He's like Lamar Jackson out there, I swear. But watching that game, uh, he had a 68 yard laser of a passing touchdown. Uh, he bowled over a linebacker. He got two red zone rushing touchdowns. Uh, there were a lot of designed runs for him in the red zone, which I think we'll see featured in Tuscaloosa because the run game's been a big part of the Ole Miss, Ole Miss offense so far. And I think that, that their run game's so good. Ulysses Bentley, the fourth, six carries, 61 yards, and a touchdown. That's also 10 yards per carry. And of running back, Matt Jones, one touch the entire game, a 36-yard rushing touchdown, which I think speaks volumes. Now, it wasn't just Ole Miss. Uh, Georgia Tech's quarterback, Haynes King, went 28 for 41, 307 and two touchdowns. And he also tacked on a rushing touchdown with 42 yards. And this was a pretty good game, I can't lie. Georgia Tech did give it to him at the start, but towards the end... Ole Miss decided to pull away a little bit. Uh, Jackson Dart is making it look easy. Now, he may not be like Michael Penix level right now, but I think Jackson Dart's one to look out for for the future. Uh, He's only a sophomore. Uh, He's a transfer from USC. And I keep saying it to all the guys out here. He's one of my favorite players in college football. Um, Now, they did have a ground game-focused offense this week. Uh, safety Trey Washington looked very solid for him too with two TFLs and 10 tackles. And Jackson Dart versus Tulane last week, he had a clutch sack evade and a laser for the go-ahead touchdown on fourth and four in the red zone. He played, he's been balling, so I think he's going to give it to Bama this week. Now, we already talked about Bama USF. It was abysmal for Bama. They look terrible, so obviously they're going back with Jalen Milrow as the starter. I think this is
1: his prove it week. If there's any week to do it, it's this week. So you but you're on the train of Jalen Milrow get the job done this week. Are you on that train? or Are you sticking with Jackson Dart?
2: I, I don't know because Milrow did look shaky against Texas. Uh, it's definitely a thing with I think Milrow and ranked opponents. Uh, he does do well against the non-ranked opponents, but. He's got to show his worth, man. Uh, it's probably, it's most likely going to be a QB duel. Uh, Milroe's definitely going to be on something this week. He's got a chip on his shoulder. He's got the job back. He's got to prove it to Nick Saban. And I think it's going to be a great game. Uh, I'm predicting <laughs> this might be a little controversial. I don't know if it's controversial, actually. I got Ole Miss going into Tuscaloosa again. 35-24 Ole Miss Rebels, baby. You have them by 11 yes I do wow I wouldn't be surprised at this. they wow. that rushing that rushing offense is blistering they're firing on all cylinders wow I hey, mean they, hey, they went into two Lane and gave it to him
1: that fair enough that's a good point yeah they're a road team
0: yeah Ole Miss and Alabama never disappoints um the Chad Kelly throw miracle that was a member highlight of one of those games but moving on to another one that could Willie really has like some ground pickup to it.
3: Cam, please explain why you didn't do the battle of the pack too. Uh, because it's, it's Oregon State versus Washington State. That's the only reason <laughs> why.
2: Uh, what about Cameron Ward though?
3: Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> <Cameron> Ward, <laughs> he's good.
2: He's a beast.
3: Florida State versus Clemson. I'm gonna give you a little history lesson. The last time Florida State beat Clemson was in 2014. That is a very long time. They won 23-17. Since then. From 2015 to 2022, Clemson has been on a seven-game winning streak. FSU, who's four, if they win against Clemson, I think they could get into the top three. That's my personal opinion. Now, we already talked about Florida State a little bit, Jordan Travis. This is the very first time that I have ever seen Jordan Travis nervous in a game, especially when you're in Boston College of all teams and you're – you win 31-29. This is the first time I've ever seen Jordan Travis nervous. Now, he did play good. Yeah, he went 15-24, 212 yards, and two touchdowns, but this is Clemson. Yeah, they're not as good as they were in recent years, but this is still Clemson, and you got to be stellar against Clemson. This goes the same thing with Rodney Hill. Rodney Hill, in my personal opinion, I think he has to have at least 90 yards if he wants to beat up Clemson's defense. And also this goes with Johnny Wilson. Johnny Wilson, 4-7, 105 yards, which is good, but the receiving core in general just not up to par, just not up to par at all. Even though he didn't have a touchdown, he still was the, a very impactful player, and Jordan Travis is going to have to find that man many times. Now, we all said, or we, I think we can all agree that the defense against Boston College was absolutely atrocious. Do you think we can agree to that?
1: Yeah. I think that yeah, that's something we can agree with. It on. was yeah. not up
3: to standard. Yeah.
2: That Seminole defense looked terrible.
3: It does not matter if you're going up against Kade Klubnick. FSU needs to shut Clemson down within the first quarter. They cannot let them score in the first quarter. And if that happens, I think it's wraps. Now, speaking of Clemson. Cade Klubnick, oh boy, what a name. He ripped a FAU to shreds. He went 16-27 for 169 yards and three touchdowns. He looked great in the pocket, but yet again, this is FAU. This is not serious competition for them. FSU is actual competition for Cade Klebnik. And Cade Klebnik better find his receivers and run, or he is going to have a very long night. The running core for Clemson, they just got to be shifty against this FSU line. I mean, the FSU line are just absolute monsters. In the front floor. Will Shipley and Phil Maffa. They got to be in sync. Last game they combined for like 80 yards and 12 yards of carry. But it's FAU. Again. Now. The defense. Same same thing. It's FAU. They look great. They held them to 14 points. Avion Terrell and Khalil Barnes. They got to get the job done. They got I think they got to have at least more than 10 tackles. And that's for the both of them. Now. What I think this prediction is. I think. FSU is going to beat Clemson twenty-eight twenty-four. 24
2: You think it's going to be that close?
3: Yeah. I And wow. we have to remember, this isn't Death Valley.
2: You also have to remember that Cade Klubnick just threw for sub-175 yards against FAU. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think it's going to be a Will Shipley game, if, if anything.
1: That is a fair point. And I have personally been to Death Valley. It is an experience. I will say that. Um, it, it's just an electric place to play. So I think that'll give Clemson an advantage a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think the real X factor is, of course, Nick, Like always, he's underperformed, but we'll see what happens. Up next, we have another top 20 battle. RJ, what's going on over there?
1: Man, I've been looking forward to this matchup ever since the end of the Colorado State game. Number 19 Colorado going into Eugene to face off against Bo Nix in number 10, Oregon. How about them Ducks, baby? Wow. I think overall, I'm going to start with Colorado's side. You survived in double overtime against Colorado State. I think, in my opinion, that is the scariest thing. I think even more scary than losing Travis Hunter is keeping it that close to Colorado State. I think, Colorado, this you need to make a statement this game because if even if you win close, people are going to say, oh, okay, it's because of, say, for example, Bo Nix or something. They're going to say some narrative in the media, and they're not going to give you your justice for beating a very good Oregon team. Now, in my opinion, they got out physically battled against colorado state which is why the game was even close in the first place i think if you're colorado you need to rally together and with without travis hunter you need to get your guys together on the defensive side of the ball like for example the linebacker jawan mitchell shiloh sanders and Cameron, Silman, Craig. I think those three guys need to get together and kind of lead that defense, get them more physical for a very, very good Oregon offense. Now, on the other side of the uh, ball for Colorado on offense, I think Shadur Sanders, you just need to overall just keep doing what you're doing. I think he played really good and gave Colorado that win again at home. I think him overall just in the pocket and just his awareness on the ball, just finding the right receiver, uh, was the really big factor in uh, Colorado not getting sacked as much, in my opinion, because of the debatable offensive line play, even on both sides, offensive and defensive line. I think overall for Colorado, you're going to need to fix up the lines, make sure they're ready for a tough test in Eugene. I
2: think you failed to mention that Colorado had less yards than Colorado State.
1: That is that is very true. It, that's that's concerning. That's also even Colorado State won the time of possession battle by nine minutes and fourteen seconds.
2: That that is scary because they're because they're going against a top ten team. That that's that's gotta frustrate Dion.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, another thing that probably frustrates Dion. They really weren't in enemy territory all that much. They really relied on big plays and big separation that turned into momentum I
1: absolutely mean. even like considering the last drive of the game i mean like for that almost that final minute they were in hurry up and kind of had to like pray that somebody was going to get open down the field which eventually did happen. and even michael harrison the tight end got a couple of big catches for him and eventually i believe that final touchdown to send it into overtime i just think overall you're going to need to rely on your receivers xavier weaver and along with Harrison and Jimmy Horn. I think those three guys are going to need to make big statement games and yet again continue with the long plays downfield. But overall, just get more plays in the red zone. Not every play has to be a big play for Colorado's offense. I think you have to slow the game down. You can't lose the time possession battle again because once Oregon gets the football, they're going to try and slow it down and keep Shader off the field as much as possible. I just think overall, though, for the Colorado offense – you need to be two-dimensional and give Donovan Edwards potentially even some more carries. In my opinion, I think if you keep it one-two and not more passing than running, I think you can be a little bit more unpredictable, which could lead to big uh, play-action plays downfield. Yeah, that would be Dylan Edwards. Um, oh, it's Dylan. Oh, yeah. my apologies. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, but my apologies. Now, switching, side, or switching teams, Oregon you come off crushing Hawaii 55 to 10 Bo Nix played a great game in my opinion he went 21 for 27 247 yards and three touchdowns and even the backup quarterback got some work uh completing six passes for 85 yards and a touchdown that's Ty Thompson and that's something a nice little interesting thing to note um for the receiver wise they kind of have an interesting mix um All three of the receivers that I have had four receptions, which I thought was pretty interesting. Kind of spreading the ball out a little bit evenly, I think, is a good thing for them. Uh, We'll start with Troy Franklin. He had 83 yards, and he averaged 20.8 yards per catch with uh, his biggest catch of being 40 yards, which I think was a potential deep threat guy we could see in this game this week. Um, Tez Johnson also had four receptions. He had 77 yards and two touchdowns. So look for him to be the red zone target for this Oregon offense And Bo Nix. He averaged 19.3 yards a catch with a long of 49, which as I'm looking even at the last guy, Sean Holden, all of these guys have like long catches of like say 40, 49, and then Holden was 60 yards, a 60-yard catch. Like that could change a game just with one play in my opinion. And I think – Him overall having two touchdowns as well. you got multiple red zone guys. I think that's something that can't be taken for granted in college football these days. And they're good with um, yards after the catch as uh, the yards per catch are over a first down for all three receivers, which I thought was something that was pretty interesting. Now the big test for Oregon. How will your defense pan up against Shadur Sanders and his pocket ability? You have Tysheem Johnson, um, Bryce... Botcher? I apologize if I mispronounce I think, I think, I that think it's name botcher right. is it botcher yeah okay my apologies on that one and then Devon Jackson I think those are gonna be the three big playmakers on defense because last week uh Johnson led uh, with eight total tackles botcher had six and then Jackson had five and he, uh, Jackson also had a t- uh, one and a half tackles for loss um in my opinion the defensive backs are going to need to uh, read the receivers of Colorado and uh, read Shutter's eyes where he's going. And I think Kyrie Jackson could be the leader for that Oregon defensive back unit as he did have an interception last game against Hawaii. For Oregon to win this game at the rate they, everybody uh, around college football thinks they'll win it because they are favored by 21 points, I will – Put that out there. I think Bo Nix is going to just need to have a potential Heisman statement game to potentially raise him up that Heisman ranking. He'll have to have a similar performance to what he had against Hawaii. Not saying that's guaranteed because that is something very big to put on a quarterback like him considering he's been shaky in multiple big-time games when he was at Auburn. I just think overall he needs to have a big game. And Oregon's defense needs to come up big on third downs against Colorado and keep their offense off the field. And also for the Ducks, I think you need to control the time possession. Like I stated earlier, like with Colorado State, uh, by leading the time possession by nine minutes, that's keeping Shador off the field. That is Colorado's number one playmaker is their quarterback. And keeping him off the field as much as possible, I think is going to give Oregon the best chance to succeed in in my opinion. And I think for Colorado's side, not having Travis Hunter is, I think, the reason why this game won't be close. I think just what he can do on both offensive and defense, I think, in my opinion, is just you're losing too much in one guy. And I think the team is going to have just too many question marks considering how they played against Colorado State. And my prediction for the score, I got the Ducks winning 45-28. to 28.
2: So, you think this is the game that Bo Nix puts the Bo Picks name to rest?
1: It's where it gets put to rest, and the billboards actually start making sense around basically everywhere I look. It's just, I believe it says like Bo Nose or something like that. It's something, man. So, he has to prove it, and I think this is the game he does it. Yeah, that school's
0: behind him. It's going to be a very interesting game, especially without Travis. But moving on to maybe one of the best games all season. It is number 6 Ohio State going to Notre Dame and play number 9 Notre Dame. Last time these two teams played, 2022, last season. And CJ Stroud was under center for the Buckeyes where he led the team to a 21-10 victory in Columbus, Ohio. It was a big time win for them on the season and it really put them in playoff position. And it's looking to do the same
3: this year. I also want to point out this is the first time in seven years that this game's going to be in South Bend. So that's that's kind of a huge thing to think about
1: that's something that's very interesting again going back to that 2022 game that was the game that jsn did eventually end up getting injured for the year so that could have been a reason why it was a little bit on the lower scoring end for ohio state but i think this matchup is going to definitely be exciting
0: yeah ohio state they're coming off a pretty easy win and the big notable factor against western kentucky last week was kyle mccord was outstanding he was nineteen for twenty three, 300 plus yards and three touchdowns, no interceptions, but he did have a fumble, but he looked the most under control. His feet movement in the pocket was close to perfect. It looks he looks so improved from week two.
1: I think that was something that was the biggest question coming in to this game for Ohio State. How was Kyle McCord going to do considering the QE battle all offseason and into spring, even leading up to like the first two weeks of the season where it was between him and Devin Brown? I think this is the game that kind of showed that uh, Coach Ryan Day could have potentially made the right decision.
0: Yeah, and the running game really did help him out. But Trayvon Henderson, you know, only 13 touches for a future NFL player, 88 yards, two touchdowns, It was very good with a long 21. But I think the person who stole the show, like always, Marvin Harrison Jr. doing his thing. I mean, he, he only had five catches, but 126 yards and a 75-yard bomb touchdown. I mean, he just creates so much separation, and he's going to give any opponent he faces so much problems because he's going to be open by 10 yards almost every play. And his, well, people say psychic, but I mean, like, Ameca abruga is one of the best college receivers in a while, and the only reason he's receiving number two is because you've got a generational player, Marvin Harrison Jr., but he had four catches and two touchdowns um, with a nice toe-tap sideline one, I might add. Ohio State also has tight end Cade over, five catches, 90 yards. He is a vertical threat, and he makes plays very versatile, and it, it's it's almost like the Ohio State offense was built to win. It, it was entirely built to just destroy your opponents, averaging 40-plus points a game. But on the other end, their defense is just as good. Now, it might not look like that on paper. They don't have the sack numbers they want. They don't have the tackles for loss they want. But the QB pressures are endless. The, the smart plays, the tackles, they don't miss many tackles. They score a lot on defense, which is a huge stat line for any team. They're number one in college football and forced turnovers, and they scored three times last game on defense. 21 points on defense last game against Western Kentucky, which is ridiculous. Linebacker Steele Chambers had eight tackles, one tackle loss, a pass deflection, and an interception. He was a big factor for their victory last game. They only had two sacks. You know, it's, it's going to happen, but the quarterback pressures were there, and they forced a lot of third down and longs which really put Western Kentucky in really bad situation. Now, on the other end for Notre Dame, they versus Central Michigan, and the guy who's been the storyline for the Irish is Sam Hartman. He is just absolutely a menace right now, and he is really tearing up college football. He was 16 for 26, which is a bit bad for him compared to his other games. Three hundred thirty-three, 330 yards, three touchdowns, with a QBR of 87.6. And, of course... Who I think is the biggest weapon on this Notre Dame team, Audric Estime is a—he's a beast. He, he was hurdling over guys like it was like Mario. Like it was—it was another It was just another Saturday for him. Yeah,
2: he's—he's he's the best back in college football right now. Uh, looking at his stats for the season, uh, 63 carries for 521 yards and five touchdowns. That's eight yards per carry, and he has only had one game this year under 100 yards.
1: Wow. I think that's something that that's a pretty insane stat. I think going into a game against Ohio State with now a better, improved defense from the past couple of years, I think for Notre Dame to win this game, the uh, rushing attack is going to need to lead the way and kind of bail out Hartman if the Ohio State defense kind of gets some pressure on him.
0: Yeah. SMA, right now, he's on a tear. Every single game that's gone by, he has gotten better. He started week one with 95 yards, which is a season low. Last week, 176 yards on a season high of 20 carries and a touchdown. He had a long of 41, which is half the yards he had on the long of 80 last week. But he really, I think the biggest thing about his game is he sets up this passing game for Notre Dame. Chris Tyree and Tobias Merriweather both had 75 yard plus touchdowns. They were deep shots. They were perfect in the air. I mean, there was no way they were going to catch either of them. On the defensive side for Notre Dame, they had no forced turnovers against Western Kentucky. They did not get that ball back for their offense once. Uh, It was Central Michigan. Michigan. Oh, Central Michigan. Yeah, my bad. They did not get against Central Michigan. Linebacker Jack Kaiser had 10 tackles, one tackle floss, and a sack. You know, this year for college football has really been the linebackers for defense. They've been outstanding, and this was no different. But just like Ohio State, not much going on the stat line for the D line. the stat sheet does lie though, because Notre Dame was harassing, harassing this central Michigan quarterback. They only had two sacks and four tackles for loss, but they were they were all over the place, and they were swarming the running backs, receivers, quarterback, and that's how you get tackles, and that's how they were able to force a lot of these third down and longs as they forced. Central Michigan to a 3 13 third down
3: efficiency. I want to point out something Notre Dame being 4 0 is impressive, but they really haven't played anybody this season, which is a very big factor in this game. I mean, looking at the schedule, they played Navy, Tennessee State, NC State, and Central Michigan. That's not really,
1: even though they're 4 0, that's not really a good resume. Absolutely. I think this, I mean, this is Notre Dame's first big test and potentially their biggest test the whole year. My question is how is this Notre Dame offense going to respond to a defense like Ohio State's that is up there now with one of the best kind of upper good defenses in college football? I think if Notre Dame can pass this test, I think this is finally one of the years that we can kind of say Notre Dame kind of deserves to be ranked where they're ranked.
0: Yeah, and the way that they're going to have to beat this team is playing their style of football. They have to get this balanced offense where they can use SMA and Sam Sam Hartman can just do the rest because he will put the ball where the receivers need to be. Now, balance is the biggest key for both teams. Notre Dame likes to run heavy and then hit you with a deep shot and really just make you scramble as you fall behind. Ohio State, with so much talent, they run so many different formations, schemes, stacks, and it makes them unpredictable in both the passing and the run game, which is a problem and why their offense is just so dangerous. Now another thing, Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to have the spotlight this game, like he always does. But again, just like Notre Dame, this is really Ohio State's first true test. First time they're versing a ranked opponent this year. Notre Dame has some cornerback play, and I think they're going
3: to be swarming the number two prospect in the nation. Uh, one last thing. I think if Notre Dame wins this game, I think they deserve to be in the top five. They deserve to be in the top
1: five. Absolutely. I think they could make uh, the top five easily with a win, especially if it's in an impressive fashion against Ohio State. I think overall for Notre Dame, this is kind of the make it or break it game of the year. Even though it's early, in my opinion, I think that it's a must win.
2: Yeah, and especially if uh, Florida State decides to look a little shaky against Clemson, I think they can sneak into that top four spot even.
1: Absolutely. I could see them making the jump as well. It's just the biggest question is, honestly, to me, is it going to be the Notre Dame defense? I think how are you going to stack up against arguably the best wide receiver in college football, Marvin Harrison, and potentially the second best in Emeka Buka behind him? That's two big-time targets you're going to need to find to shut down if you're going to want to win this game.
0: Yeah, and the problem is they can't just drop coverage. They have to, you know, look at the run game. Henderson is a future NFL player. He's a smart runner. His ball carrier vision is outstanding. He kind of looked like old on Bell, how he would sit and wait and strike at the right moment in the O-line. Now, both O-lines for this team are going to play a big factor for not just pass protection, but also establishing the run game, which I think both teams are going to want to do really early. Now, This is two of the best O-lines in football. Less than five or less sacks allowed for both teams. They don't allow many tackles for loss, mostly due to their running backs being able to do what they do and not much strength of schedule. But a big thing that's going to make a difference in this game is turnovers. Notre Dame defense does not force turnovers like Ohio State does. No defense forces turnovers like Ohio State does. And I think that's where Ohio State is really going to get Michigan. Uh, I think that's where Ohio State is really going to get Notre Dame. Sam Hartman, yet to throw an interception. I feel one a costly interception coming this week. Maybe even two.
1: Absolutely. I can definitely see that happening. And even just to make a little fun of what you said, I'm about to say let's keep the the battle at the end of for the end of November to November because I think that'll be a really good game this year. But overall, I just think it's gonna be a great matchup. Even in Notre, being in Notre Dame though, I think is gonna give Notre Dame a huge advantage that Ohio State had in the last matchup. I think one of the main reasons Ohio State did end up winning that was because of the crowd energy. Like when the Notre Dame uh, offense was on the field, like that place is electric. I've been to the Shoe. I'm from Ohio. It's it's a great great one of the best atmospheres in college football. So I think in my opinion, for Notre Dame, the the fan energy is going to be like a a factor that is not really much talked about but could give a huge advantage.
0: Yeah, for my final prediction in this game, I have Ohio State coming out with a two-touchdown victory, 34-20, I feel like with their turnover, with Ohio State forcing what they do is turnovers, forcing turnovers, it's really going to put Notre Dame in a situation where they have to throw, and it's going to throw off their offense.
1: So quick question for you before we kind of move on. Do you think with a convincing enough win, Ohio State could jump into the top three?
0: Absolutely. There's multiple people and experts that say Ohio State should be one which is interesting. But they have the most stacked roster on paper, and if they beat Notre Dame, they're really making the push at Michigan and Georgia, who have been sitting comfortably in first and second place.
2: Uh, If people are saying, like you said, Ohio State should be number one right now, are we sure we can call them experts?
1: (laughs) Even as a childhood fan of Ohio State, I do not think they should be number one.
2: Yeah, they should not even be inside the top four right now.
1: Yeah, the, the Bulldogs are
0: just doing their thing. But Carson back season. (laughs) Speaking of the Bulldogs, we have the AP poll. Now, of course, we'll go down from 25 to 1, starting at 25. We have the newly addition of the top 25, the Florida Gators, after their win against Tennessee. Big swamp. Big
1: swamp. Absolutely. They needed to jump back, especially with a good win like they had against Tennessee. I think that was the perfect way to kind of get them – Uh, Back in the top 25.
0: Yep, and at 24, we have Iowa. 23, Tennessee drops 12 spots to 23. Then at 22, you have UCLA, who jumps up two spots. Washington State making a push as they are up to 21. Miami up to 20. Colorado actually goes down to 19. And Duke has entered the top 20 at 18. UNC at 17. Oklahoma moves up to 16. Ole Miss is now in the top 15. Oregon State is also in the top 15 at 14. Bama moves down to 13. LSU jumps up two spots to 12. Utah at 11. Oregon jumps up three spots to take the 10th spot. Notre Dame at 9. Washington still at 8. Penn State still at 7. They have not moved the spot. Ohio State at 6. USC at 5. Florida State moving down up one spot to fourth, and Texas officially has more first ballot votes than them. Texas at three, Michigan at two, and Georgia Bulldogs at one. Guys, thoughts on the top 25?
2: So, that Tennessee-Florida game, that was a battle for the ages. That is the most classic SEC game I've ever seen. They... A lot of people underestimate the Swamp sometimes. Now, when you look at the stats, Joe Milton had a pretty good game, honestly. He didn't even do anything wrong, but the Trevor Etienne show showed in the Swamp. Now, Tennessee at 23, I don't exactly agree with that. I think they should be around where Miami or Washington State are at 20 or 21. I think dropping them 12 spots, even though they had a pretty good game, is a little harsh, but they
1: did get out physical. Something I will add on, they lost by double digits, correct? Yes, they did. I think that has a factor of why they are where they are at 23. I think in my opinion, I mean, we had to treat Florida as an unranked team in this situation, and I think overall losing by double digits against an unranked team, even before in like in the preseason poll they were decently high up. I mean now it's a different story. They were unranked and I think that's the reason why instead of like that 20, 21 spot, they fell all the way down to 23.
2: Yeah. And that Graham Mertz, I I don't I don't like. I didn't like him at Wisconsin. I don't like him at Florida. He just, he's just so static. I I I can't I can't watch it. It's terrible.
3: Washington should be above Penn State. Facts. I've wow. been, I've, I've Max. been, I've been wanting to say this, but Washington should be above Penn State. Penn State has not really played a lot of competition. Washington, that's my opinion. Washington beat the bricks off Michigan State, but other than that, I think Washington should be above Penn State.
1: I mean, you're a believer in the Michael Pinnock show, I guess. Wow, um, Eisman.
2: <laughs> Eisman.
1: Now, in my opinion, looking at the poll, I'm gonna go with like a little bit of an interesting take. So, like, Duke and North Carolina are right there at 17 and 18. My question is, with North Carolina having such a close win against Appalachian State, how can you put them above Duke? A Duke team that has been a little bit of a surprise this season, and and putting them under North Carolina, I think, to me, is a little bit shocking.
0: I have two words. Drake May is (laughs) single-handedly beating Duke in the top 25 poll.
1: It has to be, in my opinion, because, like, just looking at it, I thought that was something that was a little bit of a shocker. But also, Alabama, all the way down to 13. I mean, that's my final thought, in my opinion. Just watching college football over the years, I don't believe I can remember a time where Alabama was this low in the rankings. Like, the lowest I can ever, like, remember them being is, like, maybe 8 a couple years ago, but besides that, that's kind of the only thing that I can really remember. I I just think it's overall insane, and I think it could be a potential of the start of the downfall for Alabama football.
2: This is really weird this year. We're seeing the downfall of Dabo. We're seeing the downfall of Saban. It's going to be, if this start to the season is any indication for the rest of it, it's going to be an amazing season for college football.
1: Absolutely. And just to put in a final quick thought, it kind of reminds me of the 2007 season. I don't know if many people have done research on it, but there were not even with the upsets wise. I'm just talking like with different teams like rising up and making an impact in the poll. Like compared to other years, I think it kind of gives off like a 2007 vibe. I I'm I'm liking it. I'm really looking forward to seeing what the rest of the year has for us. Wait, was that was 2007? Tebow, was it? Was that Tebow, Florida? I believe it was. I thought that was his was, Heisman year. Yeah, it, it was when like a bunch of like I believe like one and two or almost two, the newly ranked two team lost almost every week.
2: That was that. That, that was. was
1: do some research if you haven't on the 2007 college football season because I don't know if we'll ever see anything nearly like it again.
0: Yeah, that was that Urban Meyer controlled swamp. That
2: was oh, a, that man. was an amazing time for that, college
1: That's football. for sure.
0: Yeah, and and speaking of teams, Michigan is still at two, but I think the most alarming thing is I feel like every week the number three team has more first trap first place votes than them. So like, I feel like whoever these two people voting for Michigan are. It's becoming like a biased thing because I see him with two votes every single week.
1: That That is for sure. I think, like, with their point, I, I think it's just slowly going down as the weeks are going on because people are kind of realizing, okay, we need to see a statement out of this Michigan football team or else, like, they're going to start having to put potentially even taxes above them, in my opinion.
2: I wonder if one of those voters is Gus Johnson.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The Gus Johnson bias of Michigan.
2: He is on that Michigan train all the time. I I really wonder if one of those voters is Gus Johnson. (laughs) It's Gus Johnson's burner account.
0: (laughs) No, we love Gus Johnson. Oh, yeah.
2: yeah, We love uh, Gus Johnson. He has a lot of great calls. He
0: also loves Michigan.
2: Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but moving on from the top 25 poll... We have our first official Heisman watch. Now, our list a bit different. Well, not our list, but our player who we think can really have a shot might be different than what the experts say. But we'll start with Cam on this. He has a familiar face.
3: Uh, Caleb Williams. Yeah, I think it's the obvious one. Caleb Williams' numbers are eye-popping, but I will say this. USC has not played a relevant team. Grass is green. The grass is green, yes. <laughs> Uh, they played San Jose State, where they won fifty six twenty eight. They played <laughs> Nevada, sixty six to fourteen. Wow! <laughs> and then, good old Stanford, fifty six to ten. Yeah, this is no this
2: is no Christian McCaffrey Stanford. This
3: is no Christian McCaffrey Stanford. His Caleb Williams numbers are eye popping, but I think if you want, if Caleb Williams wants to make a back to back Heisman, he really has to show out against Colorado. He realizes a shot against Colorado because that game will be an absolute shootout between him and Shador.
0: Yeah, I can't, I can't disagree with that. And he's also playing Notre Dame soon, yeah. So it's he's getting some tests later on in the season. But I know Connor also has a guy who's trying to put his name in that first place spot.
2: Mr. Michael Penix Jr. out of Washington, man. When I saw this, when I saw the rankings at the start of the season, I said Michael Penix. They really have him in the Heisman race?
1: I think we all kind of said that because, like, the only thoughts of him that we can kind of remember before Washington was the days at Indiana. And just the school Indiana alone should kind of tell you what everybody was thinking.
2: Yeah, and now he is leading the FBS in QBR and in passing yards. He's got a 74% completion rate, and he is dotting up the defenses that he's playing. I'm really excited to watch this Heisman race.
0: Yeah, next up, we have my guy's not on any list here. Really. He's really flying under the radar, in my opinion. I have Dylan Gabriel, the quarterback for Oklahoma.
1: Wow. That, that's very interesting, in my wow. opinion. Because, like, crazy. who <laughs> have they played? They have played Arkansas State, SMU, and
0: Toledo. Uh, I forget the second team, but it was not good. I didn't my, it was either Louisiana Tech or Tulsa. So, nobodies. It's pretty much yeah. nobodies. So basically, SMU was nobody's. their best opponent, and it really gave they really gave them a push. Um, but Dylan Gabriel, a two hundred twenty point four quarterback rating, eighty two and a half percent completion rate, which is ridiculous, nine hundred and five yards and eleven touchdowns to only one interception, which, in my opinion, they got away with one on that interception. That was a holding call that was missed. So I think he's pretty upset seeing that one pick on his stat sheet.
1: Oh, I bet for sure. I'm going to go with a guy that I had high hopes on coming into this year. I mean, I mean, so far he's paying it off. Jordan Travis, the QB out of Florida State. Man, did he make a statement in that game against LSU. That's kind of the thing that I'm noticing between the other different candidates Jordan Travis out of the list that of what who we mentioned is the guy who's played a top team in LSU at the time they were ranked in that 12th spot. And even though the Boston College game was close and was a little bit of alarm, an alarm, it really, for the most part, wasn't his fault, in my opinion. And I think overall, just him having... A little bit of a down, 63.1% completion percentage and nine total touchdowns. I just think overall the way he's played so far, considering he's played a top opponent, I think is the reason why some people still have them a little higher than uh, others. But in my opinion, I think later down the line, you play teams like Duke, Miami, Florida, which is still currently ranked, and at the end of the year playing Florida, that's a couple ranked teams right there that if you make good statements with you can make a great push and in my opinion i think he's going to do just that and win the heisman in my opinion
0: yeah it's very interesting but i know connor has a few sleepers hey, i've got i've got that tunnel vision i see i see some
2: guys with a lot of upside so like i said before one of my favorite players in college football mr jackson dart now not a lot of people see this upside that I see. He's been dicing up defenses. And playing in the SEC, you get a lot of recognition, especially with the conference games. He has a lot of rushing upside, too. He's got 213 yards and two and two touchdowns on the ground this year. Uh, some notable wins so far for him is 37-20 at number 24, Tulane at the time. And, four, and a recent win, 48-23 to Georgia Tech. Now, he's got that big playability. He's got the coaching. He's got the team around him. I think later in the year, you're going to see his name in the conversation. And same goes for Cameron Ward of the now-ranked Washington State. Now, he doesn't have as much rushing upside as some of the quarterbacks in this class, but he's a junior quarterback. He's been very efficient, and he is top 15 in college football in passer rating. And QBR. Now some notable wins for him is 50-24 to 24 at Colorado State, which a ranked Colorado had a little trouble with. He made it look easy. He's almost got 1,000 passing yards on the season, nine touchdowns, and zero turnovers. And he also beat number 19 Wisconsin at home, 31-22. I think Cameron Ward's definitely another guy to watch out for.
0: Yeah, and I, I see you have a position player, which, you know... They're not getting many much love in this Heisman. You know, we had Derek Henry, Jonathan Taylor, C.J. Krohn. Uh, who is this position player that you've made notice of?
2: Uh, first off, did you say C.J. Krohn like uh, the, like uh, the yeah, infielder my, for they the Rockies? My bad. <laughs> 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 I was about to say, he's not hitting That's home like... runs at mile high. <laughs> um, he is getting home run touchdowns, though. Rome Adunze from Washington. I think he's one of the best wide receivers in the nation right now.
1: I'm shocked you actually pronounced that name right. I'm yes, very I'm impressed. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair play. <laughs> Winging a prayer, baby. Uh,
2: he has been the key player for Penix, and obviously Penix number two in the Heisman ranking right now. 22 catches for 419 yards and two touchdowns. That is a 19 yard average. Now, I know we talked about Notre Dame's running back, but we saw Devontae Smith recently won a Heisman. I think if he keeps this stat line up, I think he's got a chance.
0: It it'll, would it'll definitely be fun to see because quarterbacks winning everything gets kind of boring sometimes unless, you know, they pull off some Joe Burrow type stuff. Very. But moving on to, you know, NFL. Big time Sundays. It's going to be fun this week. We f- finally have a grasp of how teams are really playing and it's really going to be fun to see. We'll start with OJ.
1: <sighs> Just... Uh, A sigh is all I can really give for all the Browns fans around there. Watching Monday night, basically as soon as I saw Jub come down and the cart come out, I'm not going to lie, it made the rest of the game unwatchable. He is our heart and soul of this team. He's the guy that does not talk out in the media. He plays the game the right way, and he's kind of almost treated as America's running back. So in my opinion, him going down for the season really hurt my soul. I was really depressed after the game, I am about to say. it. I still keep hope, though. As a Browns fan, we take constant shots every year, but we always get back up. And something to get back up on was the re-signing of Kareem Hunt, a one-year, $4 million, <laughs> million dollar deal. Man, I am excited. Uh, I missed Kareem Hunt's explosive ability on offense, so I'm glad he's back. But my opinion, though... The offensive line in the run block, it needs to be better. Jerome Ford, though, did shock me with his performance. He, Him getting over 100 yards kind of in an unexpected situation, I think is major props to him and his development. But, God, the offensive line, please just block so much better. Jedrick Wills needs to be benched. In my opinion, he has like one of the, I think, out of 57 offensive linemen, he's like the 54th in run block. Out of like all eligible tackles, it, it we just need to play better offensively on the offensive line.
0: Get better blocking. They were versing T.J. Watt. I could put T.J. Watt down in China, and he could run through that wall.
1: He wasn't lined. <laughs> he wasn't lined up. Dewan Jones' Jones's main task was T.J. Watt, which I will say he did a better job than I expect him to do against T.J. Watt, even though he went off in Pittsburgh as usual. But overall for the team. Deshaun, please, you need to play better. We are giving you like what? 255 million guaranteed? Are we talking DTR season now? (laughs) No, we are not talking DTR season. Hopefully, not for. I'm hoping at least the next couple uh, of RJ, years. RJ, can
3: I just say that was the worst Monday night football game I have ever watched?
1: Yeah, it was a very hard. I mean That's nice voice Greg. Yeah, <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> but uh, for my in my opinion, you need to use Marquise Goodwin for more than just deep shots downfield that don't even go to him. I think the one in the he, Deshaun could have had like two interceptions, but the interception in the end zone was dropped by Pittsburgh's uh, cornerback. So, very very confused on why we don't use him as an actual like receiver in the middle of the field but in my opinion god the defense is carrying this team and in my opinion if we want to be even close to playoff contention it's going to be the defense carrying us and overall i think just to end it off we need to get better scheming from Kevin Stefanski. The first play of the game, let alone, kind of proved that to me, in my opinion. But I think Tennessee. This is the week at home, with a bunch of energy, doing everything for Nick Chubb and Jim Brown. In my opinion, I think this is where we could potentially uh, get back up on the win column. Yeah, definitely.
0: It was it was a it was a definitely interesting Monday Night Football. I know Mason Rudolph was having PTSD flashbacks <laughs> on the sideline. But moving to another part of Ohio, oh
2: god,
3: <laughs>
0: um,
2: yeah, it's it hasn't been great. First off, I do want to say prayers up to Nick Chubb. He made all. Yeah. He, he always makes the I game. Mean, he always makes the Browns' games interesting. Appreciate
1: it. Yeah. We need it.
2: It's uh, it's sad to see one of the best running backs in the league go down like that. Uh, same knee that he had reconstructed in Georgia.
1: Yeah, man. That, just to put an extra thought, that really hurt and. People were saying it could be a potential career career ender, but I think if anybody's going to come back from something like this, it's going to be Nick Chubb, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, that man, he's nails for breakfast. I said the same thing about OG3. <laughs> oh,
1: Uh-oh. man. That was just well, depressing. He, he came back. He
2: just sucked. <laughs> yeah, that is fair. I also, that uh, is, yeah. But now, oh, and 2 start to the season is not what we want to see. Um. I think Burrow has been looking not the best. Uh, I think a a large part plays with that calf injury that he's been dealing with. And the defense hasn't been amazing either. And, I mean, T. Higgins did get two touchdowns, which was really good to see. Burrow got back into the groove in the end of the game. Um, But, again, after the game, he's talking about having a little discomfort with that calf. I don't know if I want to play him this week.
1: I was just about to ask you that very question. Monday Night Football, rocking out the white jerseys, which I'm not going to lie, I really like those jerseys. Do you think they're going to start Burrow, or do you think they could potentially have a chance to sit him, be precautionary, and potentially be 0-3?
2: All I'm going to say is this. If Burrow does not play, um, if he's healthy, we're going to play him. Zach Taylor is about that. I mean, obviously, I don't want to play Burrow if he's unhealthy, if he's not 100%, because especially thinking back to the ACL injury that he had, that's scary to think about. But if it's between him at 90% and Chase Browning, I'm taking injured Burrow every day.
1: It's a, I believe it's Jake Browning. Jake
2: Browning. I don't Who even, I don't care. we career season.
1: I actually looked at it. Fun fact, he has not completed an NFL yep. pass.
2: Yep, it's sad. It's really sad.
1: Aaron Donald could have a feast if Burroughs, not under center, yeah,
2: and no, and no
1: hate to Chase Browning, like <laughs> Jake Browning. I I thought I said Jake. No, you said Chase again, but no, oh, that's good. It's good. Yeah, we all do it. I
2: still I still think Will Greer should be the backup. Will Greer, West Virginia legend. I think. If Burrow's not fully healthy, that's who should play.
1: If you guys play Greer, I will be a temporary one-day Bengals fan, just Thank in you. honor of Will Greer. Yeah, man, I, he, he did some good stuff here. Yes, he did.
0: Yeah, I, I do agree. You should play Will Greer because the last man from Washington to really have the hopes of Cincinnati, his name was John Ross. So, <sighs>
2: yeah, let's not talk about the fact. Let's not talk about the fact that John Ross had. The fastest combine time ever and we just drafted somebody who had the fastest c- time at the combine
1: you gotta hope the trend does not continue yeah let's hope i'm praying yeah but moving on to another O and two team cameron what's going on in the windy city
3: the bears just suck Bear down. Yeah, bear down indeed, buddy. We're having the worst season I've ever seen bear, in my life.
2: Bear down in the trenches?
3: Yes. Uh, Justin Fields, please do something. I mean, I'm begging you. Our offensive coordinators can't run the same place three times in a row. That's why Shaquille Barrett had that interception.
1: Something that I want to kind of add on. Justin Fields, I believe it was today, basically called out the coaching staff for potentially being a problem in the w- reason why he's playing really below average However, you then have your defensive coordinator resign. How does that? Ma- how do you? How are you feeling? I'm if, so happy.
3: A, I'm so happy. You're happy. That. I'm so happy. I, our happy? De- our defense looks terrible. I might be the only one who thinks his. Our defense is not up to par. I mean, Eddie Jackson's now injured. I don't know what he's got, but he he's gone. When I is gu- he not I, injured? Yeah, you, you yeah. do got a point there. Yeah,
2: I guarantee you, you're not the only one that thinks that the Bears defense sucks.
3: But um. Speaking of, can we use DJ more, please? Please,
1: like please. It's hey,
2: it's Chase, chase Claypool season, uh, or it's, just run it, because
3: the only thing you're good at. Connor, I love you, but please shut up. Uh.
1: <laughs> Especially, wait, just to add on, your next game is in Arrowhead.
3: Stop, please. I'm, I'm going to. Uh, can, I, I, can I say something? I would not mind if we go 0-17 this year. I really don't. I don't. I don't mind anymore. Wow. We're gonna get fifty balled by uh, Patrick Mahomes or that or if 3 and 14 I really don't care anymore. We yeah. I want we're watching Caleb Williams state right now as we speak. Yeah. So, cuz
1: you're going to lose in Arrowhead and then at home in Soldier Field lose to Mr. Unlimited Russell Wilson. I, I think if uh, that happens, God, oh I will be on God. the floor If laughing. we
3: if we lose to the Broncos, we're going on 17. Yeah, we're thought, going on 17.
2: I thought the toilet bowl was going to be the Panthers versus the Cardinals. Maybe it's a three-way tie.
3: I, it might be. I um all right, in all honesty, I really wish the best. I, I, if Justin feels... <sighs> <laughs> He's having a moment of solidarity here. Oh, God. I am having a really bad day. Today th- is not the day. Not, it is not the day. It's not the day. Oh, we, gotcha.
1: Wow. This, today, <laughs> is one of the worst days that I've had in a long time. Man, Quoting the very famous Stephen A. Smith. I'm calling okay.
3: you know what, you know what, Gabe? I want you to put this on record. I'm calling it Owen seventeen. I'm calling it Owen seventeen. It's wow. written down, it's in the quote book right there with Oppenheimer as a horror movie. <laughs> wow.
2: <laughs> yeah, weren't you the one who said at camp that Justin Fields will be a top five quarterback?
1: Yeah. Maybe, Yikes.
2: maybe he'll be top five on the team.
1: Mets? that's
3: a stretch okay, okay. okay. Yeah. can i just say can i please say something can you just fire your entire coaching staff Pl- get rid of them all please for fire virginia house herself for all i care she's too old <laughs> wow go back to 1935 or whatever wow. <laughs> that is a rant but <laughs> i think it's very justified <laughs> all right. All right. Oh, yeah. I- i'm done i'm done all right.
0: yeah the, the rant's over but moving on to you know two and oh Commander season. I swear, if you talk about Sam Howell being the best quarterback
2: in the NFC East,
0: he's got the best stat line compared to the other guys. No. Please tell me. And Please he's me. making $39.5 million less per year.
1: Please tell me. All I'm going to say, though, is you guys have played what? Arizona, then who else? Atlanta. Denver? Denver. The Falcons. No, they versus, they played Denver. Oh. Yeah, that was. Oh. Yeah. You guys uh, almost yeah, got yeah, right. beat
3: off of Hail Mary. Yes. Uh,
1: I failed.
0: I God know
3: <laughs> Russell Wilson can make it inside the yard, inside the ten yard line throw.
0: Yeah, I told OJ, RJ, OJ was like, "Oh no, give the hell man." and I was like, "Yeah, I've got full confidence. You know, you
1: know Russ can't throw inside the 10. Not only that, but you guys got away with a PI in the end zone. I'm yep. not gonna lie, I watched it. I'm like, "Wow, you guys got bailed."
2: Yeah, so did the so did the the Steelers.
1: You watched that play with Joey Porter? Don't talk to me about
0: <laughs> it. I'm, I'm not in the mood to talk about it. Well, you know what they say: if the ref doesn't see it, it didn't happen. Shout out Drew Brees. Oh, Jared Goff or whoever said that. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Shout out Drew Brees. That, that would be Jared Goff. <laughs> That's Jared Goff who said that. Um, but, you know, I think the one glaring problem with Washington is their O-line. Just like the Browns, the O-line is bad. It, Sam Howe is going to get killed. And I, I, there's a list. There is a list of quarterbacks that have died, have been coated off on FedEx Field. Like their football careers done. Joe Thysvet. Joe wow. Burrow. Yeah. Joe Burrow. Knee was completely messed up. You
2: can't forget the legendary Alex Smith injury. Alex Smith, exactly.
0: Alex Smith. That was terrible. OG three got injured on FedEx Field. Kyle Allen got injured on FedEx
1: Field. Not only that, the only thing, like the first thing that comes to my head when the word like the phrase FedEx field is said is when Jalen Hurts at the end (laughs) of that game (laughs) goes to high five (laughs) the Eagles fans and like the side just collapses and all the fans just start falling down. Like that is the kind of the definition of the Uh, dan snyder ownership in washington but a shout out to you guys for getting new owners though i I think that was really well needed and as a browns fan considering we have one of the worst owners in the league shout out to you guys for that
3: uh fedex field is without a doubt the worst stadium i've ever been to it smells and it is just bad in general
1: oh yeah it's it's not
0: it's not sunday if sewage is not pouring on you in the stands (laughs) (laughs) cam's on a
1: heater tonight (laughs) yeah wow that it's Bears kind of, frustration is getting here. You know. he's, coming, he's coming for heads tonight. Yeah, But I think, I think overall, the, the rest of the team has been pretty
0: solid. You know, the receivers are doing their thing, a very spread out stat line. The defense, though, it needs to find some consistency. I mean, that first half, they were no show in Denver, or in, against Denver. And then they came out at halftime like, you know, Ron Rivera was holding their families hostage. Like, it was a completely different team. And they've got to stop giving up big plays and Hail Marys. But that will do it for, you know, our pro NFL. And now we're going to move on to something special that we always like to do. Fantasy football. It's it's going to be, it's getting interesting. Cam, I
3: know you would like to start. Well, the uh, famous man known as Isaiah Pacheco is questionable. So yeah. I have picked up the newest RB one for the New York Giants. Matt Breda. It seems like your fantasy
2: team should be also named the Chicago Bears. <laughs> My they fan- are also in shambles.
3: My fantasy team is Justin Fields top five, and we are one and one. Thank you. What yep. a
2: what a name. Top five on the depth chart.
3: Now wow. Joseph Burrow has been I don't want to hear it. Has been benched I don't to hear Kirk Cousins.
1: Wow. Or Honestly, other than this, Kirk Cousins. I believe he's like the highest uh Producing fantasy quarterback. So that actually has some validity to it for once. And so very shocking. Kyle Pitts has been benched to the famous Sam Laporta. There, Wow. I think, don't blame you. Honestly, I don't blame you. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Yeah, that's not on Kyle Pitts. That's more on Atlanta not knowing how to use him. It's bad. But, you know, my team, it's Sunnyside. Um, it's pretty good. I know T Higgins um was missing in action, but we found him. We we found T Higgins, which is great. Um, but I did come out with the victory, and it's looking like the Waffle House is not coming my way. Man, it's not coming your way. It's not.
1: Wow, I'm calling it right now.
0: It's a 10 person league, ninth place, looking pretty. So
1: you're not going that's, to the Waffle House. Yeah, that's what he's saying
0: i think i think that's ian's prize
2: to lose i mean that's the waffle house challenge is not it's not going to be fun but i think ian's winning the race for the wow. waffle house
1: at the moment but our game last week was oh. very interesting
2: don't talk don't coming talk. coming into monday about
1: night it. football i needed i had chris olave and david Njoku left now this man connor benched three players that had over 20 fantasy points. Would you like to go into your roster and just say like how much of just a dud your fantasy performance was?
2: Um I think I'm changing my fantasy team name to the Waiver Warriors because <laughs> I think I I think I've had more waiver transactions than people who have smiled at me in the past week. <laughs> and that's that's not much, but you know, it's 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 tough times out here, but Justin Jefferson's putting up solid stat lines for me. Justin Herbert is putting up solid stat
1: lines for me. Maybe I should just start
2: picking up guys named Justin.
1: That might be a good thing. <laughs> and considering I even beat you without Austin Eckler, my top draft pick.
2: Yeah, that's what happens when you start Aaron Jones, <laughs> and he's
3: out. If you're looking to pick up anyone by the name of Justin uh, Fields, do not draft Justin Fields, please don't.
2: Yeah, I, I'm talking about the real Justin, oh, Justin okay. Herbert. Oh, yeah. yeah,
3: the real Justin. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but the waiver warriors have recently added Kyron Williams, who is apparently the number two ranked fantasy running back, which. Thank the Lord that Cam Akers recently just got traded to the Vikings for pocket change.
1: That was, yeah, that was kind of a news drop as we were recording that kind of came through. Cam showed me it on his phone, and I'm like, just wow. That was legal robbery right there. What was it, a six-round pick? Yes. Wow. For the potential talent that Akers have or has for a six-round pick is something that is very interesting, but potentially just thinking of the fact that he would still keep him or what was it Kylan Williams on the bench playing against me I
2: man I was gonna I was gonna start him but I woke up late
1: that's tough man
2: It was the it was yeah. the day after the pick game I was out having that,
1: fun Yeah okay. that's that's fair enough that's
3: the yeah. only yeah. excuse we Connor, can kind of give. Connor, can you correct me if I'm wrong but did you bench Aaron Jones or did you have him in your starting lineup? I had him in my He was in the, in the lineup,
0: lineup. Okay oh, okay that's yeah. the only reason why I lost Yeah he had as many points Ben Roethlisberger
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> 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 Who is actually on somebody's lineup in this table? Yes. Yeah. He's he's the bench captain. The bench captain.
2: Yeah, but oh the, the waiver warriors take the field this weekend against the best team in the nation, John's team, which I'm not looking forward to because I'm probably not going to have a good week, knowing my track record.
1: Absolutely, considering almost half my lineup is questionable. <laughs> Eckler, which probably isn't going to play because I saw he didn't practice today. Derrick Henry going up against Cleveland, which is one of the best running defenses. And Jalen Waddle with a concussion, who he's been continuously getting up to play or practicing. And I'm just hoping he can kind of get in the starting lineup and play. Because if not, I'm going to have a tough, tough week against James.
0: Yeah, fantasy not looking good for some of us. Um, any of us,
3: honestly. Maybe Cameron. I just I just, I just, want to beat Andrew.
1: Yeah,
0: I want to be Andrew so I can
3: just rub it in his face. Oh, Andrew, fair enough. Andrew has the most combined points. I don't think you're winning that. I know, but I just want to point out for the draft, he drafted four or how many running backs, six running backs, and now they're all gone. I don't know where they went, but they're all gone now.
2: He drafted Tyler Algier, which was actually ended up being a good pick, but he decided to put him on the waiver wire for anyone to oh pick my, up for I, no yeah, reason.
1: I actually picked him up on the waiver wire, and he did nothing of for me. Of course, so he did. I'm debating. <laughs> I'm debating about dropping him again. Yeah, I'm not I picked, gonna lie.
2: I just picked up Kareem Hunt, and I don't know why he's only projected four points. I mean, you guys
1: are to kind of because that's kind of my team's nature. The reason why is because. Stefanski said Jerome Ford was going to be the running back one, which is why I outsmarted you and picked up Jerome Ford on the waiver wire. Yeah, but so, gu- guess who's going to get more
2: receptions?
1: Kareem Hunt. I'll give you. That, I'll give you that all day. I I'm mean, not going to lie. You guys about. are dissing
3: me because I picked up Sam Laporta, and now he's do- he's bawling right now. That's fair. But who expected him to be balling out? Me. I drafted him. You drafted David Montgomery in like the third round yeah. too. Yeah, and guess what? He's balling, and you're just mad. Jameer Gibbs isn't doing any good it, for you. It
0: takes him 15 carries <laughs> to hit 60 yards. Yeah,
3: I'd I'd also like to point out.
2: Thank you, J.K. Dobbins, for having glass bones.
1: Thank you very much. What is that? The second season ender in a That's row. That's gotta be three. Is it's it gotta three? be three. Yeah. Oh,
2: my
3: yeah, God. His ACLs are non existent. He's the NFL's Anthony Davis. Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Literally. Fair enough.
0: <laughs> but that would do it for us here on Stirring the Pot. Um, we had a great time, and we hope to see you guys next time. Peace. Later. See you later.